So it's time to set up L&D. You might be the person who's been hired to do it. You might have moved internally into the role. You might be the owner or the leader of the business and thinking that this is the solution to the challenges you're facing right now or a good way to prepare for the future. Whoever you are, you're in charge of making it happen and I want to help. I'm on a mission to seed a million thriving learning functions because I believe everyone deserves the opportunity to grow no matter where they work and that the organization benefits as well. I've had the privilege of setting up the L&D function from scratch at a tech startup turned ASX listed company and I'm in the process of doing it again right now. I am doing a few things differently this time around and in the spirit of learning, I want to share those learnings with you. Stuff that worked, stuff that did not work, and interviews with some very clever, passionate people about the stuff that I don't know yet. Before we get into this episode, I want to take a second and share something with you. Now, I know we're only in the third episode, so it may be too early for this level of vulnerability, but you need to know this. It's how I roll. I had a hard time recording this episode. In it, I talk about how to fight for the life of the L&D function by making the right impact and doing it quickly. It meant a lot of reflection on my own experience, what went well, what I would have done differently. I started thinking that a significant amount of my success was actually due to luck rather than any intentional strategy on my behalf. Having the right people behind me and sometimes just working really, sometimes stupidly hard when probably could have been working smart. Reflecting on what I'm doing now, my second time around, and realizing that I'm still not getting it perfect. Basically, I had a big old bout of imposter syndrome and was freaking out that rather than somebody else discovering my incompetencies, I was ripping the curtain away myself for the whole world to see. I've done it anyway, and I'm glad. It's actually been good for me to reflect and to reset and to remember that despite having some help and some good fortune, I did contribute a fair bit in there too. So, if you're feeling any of these feels or you're worried that people are going to find out the truth about you, please remember these two things. Firstly, you are normal and you're not alone. And secondly, you're probably more awesome than you realize. At the very least, you're listening to this, which means that you want to improve and do this good. And that's the most important part. Right, let's crack on. Welcome to episode three. Fighting for your life. Today, we're talking about the importance of making an impact and doing it quickly. When I wrote the name of this episode in my planner, it made me think of RuPaul's Drag Race and Lip Sync for Your Life. Now, I hope that there are less stilettos and glitter in your fight, but the stakes are probably still the same. You got to have that same hunger and sometimes be willing to do the professional equivalent of dropping into the splits if you want to win. High-level summary of what we're talking about today. The thing to know is just because the decision has been made to set up L&D, it might not always stay made. Think of learning and development as the new hire in the business. It was brought in to do a job, and if it doesn't perform quickly, it might not pass probation. What you can do now that you know this, number one, don't freak out. People have been here before with no more experience than you. I am one of them. I didn't get it perfect. So this is going to be a combo of what worked and what I learned. Which brings me to number two. You need a game plan. Mine 
is not fancy. There are five parts to it and the whole thing fits on a sticky note. Start by getting clear on what your success markers are. More sales, less mistakes, faster widget making. Whatever it is, you want to hear people saying in three to six months, thank goodness we've got L&D now. And we really want that, oh, thank goodness, sentiment. Satisfaction isn't enough and you don't have time for perfect. So what is the bare knuckles minimum that you need to deliver to knock their socks off and get them excited? You're going to help them understand that if you show them something in the language that they speak. This means linking it to strategy and to their expectations. You can check out the fluffy and expensive episode if you need some clues on what people might be expecting from L&D. And you have to have something to back yourself up. I am guilty of this one. Starting out without a clear plan for measuring success. We have to go into science mode and start with a hypothesis and a plan of how we're going to get the data to prove it right or prove it wrong, because that happens sometimes. And lastly, while I'm going to talk about this from the point of view of someone trying to help the L&D function get past probation, it's a pretty useful approach in general. We've always got something to prove. This is useful when you're trying to get budget for your department or even in those personal remuneration review conversations. Right, so that's it. Episode done, yeah? Yeah. If it was that easy, you would be listening to me. And I wouldn't have had a moment of existential crisis while prepping this episode, because even though this is based on my experience, I realize that I need to be reminded too. So let's dig in. This episode is going to draw a lot on my own personal experience, so I'll give you a very quick backstory if you haven't heard any of the previous explanations of how I ended up setting up learning and development in a tech startup. The business was growing really quickly, and it meant that a lot of new people, particularly new salespeople, were joining the business. The team went from three humans all sitting at the same desk to eight different people spaced all around the world, and we had to get them up to speed on how to sell our complicated piece of software pretty quickly. I was in the implementation team, so my job was basically talking to customers after they'd signed the contract and getting them up and running with the product. It was a great job, and I knew that my next career move had to be into learning and development. Whether that was in the same organization or looking somewhere else, you got to do what you got to do, right? So we were a publicly listed company. That meant that the board were the ones who made the decision that it was time for learning and development. Specifically, they decided that we would trial the function for three months and that I would be the one to run it and fix all of these problems to help our sales team. Three months is not a lot of time, right? I jumped on board anyway. I was used to implementing HR software within those kinds of windows, so I figured I'd be able to get something really impactful done in that time frame and prove the case, stick around, and make everyone really happy. Stop laughing at me. I had these three months to make an impact. Admittedly, not much experience in training salespeople, but I'd been in sales before, and I had a real point to prove that learning and development was something that this company needed and that I was the person to do it. I had one thought in my mind when I was looking ahead for those three months. It was the outcome that I wanted to achieve, summed up in a short phrase that I wanted to hear this one senior leader say at the end of those three months. Thank for Lauren. 
I wrote that phrase on a sticky note and worked back from there to plan out exactly how I was going to make it happen. It sounds really basic and, in hindsight, self-serving, but that's the truth of what I was thinking and what I did. All my plans, all my strategy wasn't built on anything fancy. I just really wanted to keep my new job. It was important to me and it was important for the people that I worked with. Everyone should have access to the skills and the knowledge they need to do their job well and an effective way to support their growth. Successful L&D solving that particular problem within three months, that was how I was going to make it happen. All right, so part one in this plan is about making the right impact. There are a million things that we can do in learning and development. There are programs and initiatives and cultures to build. There are attitudes that we can change and habits that we want to embed. The stuff that I get really excited about is gathering knowledge and skills. Turning subject matter experts into content creators and teachers. <sighs> I just want other people to get the same buzz that I get when the light goes on in someone's eyes and you can see them start having ideas of their own. I like to read about case studies in organizations, ones where they've set up self-sustaining communities of practice. And I think, wow, it would be amazing if we could do that here. But this is not about what I want especially at the start. Usually, at the very beginning, we're here to put out a fire, a really specific fire that is a significant risk to the business if it's not sorted out. So we're in survival mode, which means keep the eyes on the prize. In the first episode, I went through some of the main fires that L&D is often called upon to put out and some tips on finding out what those problems are so that you can decide if they're the battles you want to fight. If you're here at this stage, you're in amongst it. So I really hope that you remember what those goals are. If you've got a couple of priorities to be working on, it's totally up to you. I'm going to recommend starting with the most important one. It seems logical, but as humans, we don't always act that way. There's this really cool thing that I learned about texting people. If you message somebody with two questions at the same time, they will write back, but they will only answer the easy question. Looking at it in another way, I had a manager once who would always say to me, Lauren, you must eat your frog. The idea is that if you've started the day by eating a live frog, the rest of the day can only get better. Brian Tracy's written a lot about this to help people procrastinate less, but we can also use this mindset to make sure that we are prioritizing the thing we are here to do. Even if it's the hardest one, actually, especially if it's the hardest one. Strategic alignment also comes in here. You need to know what the business is trying to do so that you can be confident that your impact will match up. For example, if your organization is trying to increase its market share, focusing on something like sales enablement makes a lot of sense. You might struggle to get people on board about investing in cross-skilling the engineers or rolling out an emerging leader program. Unless, of course, you can show a really good connection with the strategy, something that we are typically quite good at. Okay, so if you're still not clear on what's important, my secret behind-the-scenes tip is follow the money. I know that's going to sound really direct. I had a brain-exploding realization in an accounting lecture at uni. We'd been learning about strategy, and it didn't quite click. Then, like a light bulb going on, Realize that business strategy is just the process of asking, yeah, but why should we do that? Until the answer is, so we make more money. 
It makes me a bit of a cynical L&D manager sometimes, but also really popular with the executives. Talking to people is going to be a common theme that we talk about today. If there is one thing to remember, this is going to be it. Get out of your head and go talk to everyone, to anyone. Ask questions, test hypotheses, steal the thing that I learned from building sales training. You can't prescribe until you diagnose and you can't diagnose without asking questions. So talk with leaders about what you're planning. You know, you can ask them if this is going to help them or what the impact would be for them if your thing works. You can talk to other departments, see what's going on there. Maybe there's something that your work will indirectly help with. I had a really clear mandate in my role. Support the rapidly growing sales team, make sure they're all following the process consistently and help them to understand the product that they're selling. It was pretty easy to follow the money. I mean the strategy. We needed to help new starters get up to speed faster and have better conversations with prospective customers. Why do we need to do that? So that they close more deals. They close those deals faster and those deals are great fits for the customer. Why do we need to do that? Well, the answer is so we make more money, both now and also ongoing. Because in the software as a service industry, retaining customers is where the real money sits. Now, I hope that doesn't sound too stark. Sometimes when I start talking about that last question around learning and development and HR people, they start to get a bit uncomfortable. Because it should all be about supporting employees, right? Yeah, we're here to celebrate learning. We're helping people to be the very best that they can be and to be happy and engaged while they do it. And all of that is really nice and it's good and it makes me feel warm and fuzzy too. But if we're not also adding to the bottom line, we're at risk when things get tight. This doesn't have to be the thing that you think about and talk about all the time. Just something to have tucked away in the back of your mind, underneath all the friendly stuff, making sure that the bills get paid. As an example, talking about impact, if my sales training had somehow reduced the number of bugs coming out through quality testing or had increased engagement in the finance department, that would have been really nice. But that's not what the role was created to do. So more likely than not, I would have ended up back in my old job pretty quick. You may not be on a three-month timer, but when we're talking about fighting for your life, it's always about making an impact fast. If you know what success looks like, now let's think about what is the fastest, simplest way to get there. Before we get too panicky, when I say fast, I mean focusing on speed, not on haste. So yeah, the clock is ticking, but there is always time for us to be intentional. And sometimes we need to go slow so that we can go fast. This is also a time to focus on a couple of priorities and let the rest go. Now, that's a really easy thing to say, but if I had to pick a single conversation that I have had the most with my managers, it's this one. You know how it goes. You've got your big three things that you're working on and somebody asks a question or they need something or you read about something cool that would be just perfect to add to your existing plan. So this is as much for me as it is for you. It's great to want to help and say yes. And if we say yes to everything, we end up achieving nothing. Knowing that about myself, there are some things that I try to do to make it easier. Firstly, 
I'm getting a lot better at communicating what I'm working on and why it's important so that people understand when I have to say no. Still a work in progress. The other thing, and this is probably me just wanting to have it both ways, I try to book myself up to only about 80% of capacity so that when that extra super important, cool, useful, urgent thing happens, I've got a little bit of wiggle room to fit it in. When we're trying to make an impact fast, there isn't time for perfect. I really wish that I'd gone down less rabbit holes trying to create perfect learning experiences. I once spent a week making a HR dictionary. It was color-coded, it was cross-referenced, it had tags in it. It was beautiful. And to this day, six people have seen it. I can lose hours tweaking things that nobody else is really even going to notice. Sometimes, a lot of the time, a scrappy Word document today is a lot more useful than a beautifully branded PDF in three months. In the same vein, I want to talk about MVPs. This is one that I stole from engineers, which they use when they're building products. Now, MVP is not about most valuable player. It's about minimum viable product. So what is the bare knuckles, absolute least you can get away with providing that still achieves the outcome? Do you need to design, create, and roll out an entire interactive course on this thing? Or is a one-hour video call that you record and play back to anyone who missed it good enough? I know that might sound lazy, but it's also super efficient. Now, these two are going to sound really familiar. Basically, letting go of perfection means not freaking out that the icing on the cake is wonky, while interrogating your MVP means questioning if it has to be a cake at all. Maybe a muffin will do the job right now. Yes, I'm obviously very hungry. It's super easy to get wrapped up in our own heads and our own ideas of what should be done. People are going to have opinions on this too, and they will be very happy to tell you how they think you should solve the problem. Talking to them is a great place to start because it helps you understand the outcome that they're trying to achieve. It doesn't always have to be done in exactly the way that we think, though. This is one from the software engineers again. First of all, we've got to work out what's the job to be done. Then we can start having ideas about how to get it done because there's usually more than one way to solve the problem. Creativity is about solving problems with limited resources. And the great news is, when you're starting up the L&D function, your resource situation is likely to be extremely conducive to creativity. And by that, I mean they'll be quite limited. This was definitely the case with me. There was not a lot of budget or even time to go out and find anything. In terms of what we already had in place, we had a call recording system, we had a knowledge sharing app, and we had a photocopied book of the sales training that the people had done two years ago highly advanced stuff. And it was actually all we needed to start doing the basics. I wasn't trying to create a whole sales academy for 500 people. We had five new starters that needed to be able to have sensible conversations with the customer about the product and follow a consistent process. To make this happen, I took what I thought was a pretty logical approach. I started at the beginning of the customer journey, the very first interaction that they would have with someone in our business and worked through to the end. For us, 
that meant building some training on the qualifying call first. If you've never had a qualifying call, it's something you can definitely look forward to when you do get to that point of choosing tools to support L&D. Pretty much what happens is you fill out a form online and then you'll speak with somebody for five to 10 minutes about your main problem and expectations. They'll probably ask a few questions about the demographics of your organization. They won't demo the product or talk much about the specific features. So this is all about you and what you need. If it's a good fit, they should invite you to have a longer chat, usually with somebody else who will take you through the product in more detail. If this was the dating world, a qualifying call would be the equivalent of checking out their profile in a dating app and exchanging a couple of messages just to decide if you should meet up for a coffee. I started at the start because I knew that I couldn't do everything all at once. But maybe, just maybe, a great first impression in that qualifying call would be enough for customers to forgive any potential wobbles further down that journey that I hadn't gotten to yet. This was very much a case of laying the track as the train rolled along. And it wasn't perfect track, if we're being honest, but it was definitely something. The new starters could use it, the leaders could see what was happening, and things were moving. Once we had the first version of qualifying call training, I then moved on to discovery calls and demo stages. To keep my analogy from the dating world going, a discovery call is a lot like a first coffee date. A little bit of storytelling, lots of questions, still trying to work out if it's a good fit. And then a demo is like dinner and a movie, you know, where things start to get a bit more serious. During this process, talking to people really helped. When we're trying to make an impact fast, our brains want to go straight to doing the most efficient things. But I've learned that sometimes we have to go slow to go fast. By this, I mean I had lots of workshops and one-on-one conversations with the experienced sales team members to steal their knowledge, basically, and more than a few meetings over beer to get honest feedback about the stuff that I'd made. It felt really slow sometimes, but the context that I got from talking to actual humans in real time was so valuable. Plus, it was a way that I could surface the work that I was doing to them and keep them involved. Little visibility with the experienced people in the business never hurts, right? And my last tip for maximum impact is thinking about the low-hanging fruit you can grab. This isn't what you might think. Yes, it is about finding those high-impact, low-effort things, but it's specifically about finding the things that are low-effort for you. There wasn't really a place for me to sit in the org chart in my new role, so I ended up reporting to the head of sales. Makes sense, right? I'm making stuff for them. It was very logical to be in their team. I love working with salespeople. They're so welcoming and friendly and are just the absolute best at banter. Anyway, she was a great manager to get me started. The most powerful thing that she did for me was to help spot some high-impact, low-effort things to do, even if they weren't purely for her team. For example, she encouraged me to run a workshop with all the customer-facing stuff. So salespeople and also implementation, support, and account management. You may have noticed this already. I am somewhat of a people-y person. I love facilitating connections and helping people to have fun while they learn. So it was a great change of pace for me from writing training modules, and it really brought my energy back. It was also pretty memorable for the people involved. I'd like to think so anyway. The 90s rainbow theme and the glitter talking stick probably helped there. 
And that's what low-hanging fruit means to me. It's not about being lazy. It's about finding the things that are easy for you and impactful or impressive to others. Leverage your unique strengths to make an impact more easily. Yes, you're fighting for your life, but you can still enjoy yourself and be you. Sprinkling a bit of your personal magic around isn't fluffy. It's sowing the seeds of your success on your terms, starting the way that you'd like to continue. Like Oscar Wilde said, be yourself, everyone else is already taken. Sometimes we do amazing things that others don't appreciate. Might be just because they don't get it. So a really important part of fighting for your life is helping the right people understand the impact and helping them understand that it was you. Language and expectations are super important. People that you're trying to impress more than likely don't come from an L&D background. They don't understand the specialized words that we use and probably aren't familiar with the last hundred years or so of our discipline and how it's evolved. Luckily, helping people understand stuff is our superpower. You need to know what their expectations are. What is it that the CEO, the owner, whoever is right at the top, what do they care about? What about other senior leaders and influencers in the business? You know, what's finance expecting to see as an impact? What about operations? As an example, hours of learning are easy to see and easy to track. So they end up being a pretty common way people use to measure whether L&D is working or not. And I know people have feelings about whether completion rates are useful as a metric or not. Not getting into that today. If the person in charge wants to see high completion rates, sometimes you must give them the high completion rates. You can give them the extra information, you can work on expanding their view, but they're not likely to be in a fertile frame of mind if you're withholding the thing that they've asked you for. I was lucky because I was working directly with the head of sales, but not everyone is in that position to have the day to day conversations about expectations. I was actually doubly lucky because she wasn't bothered with hours of training completed or even if people liked it, although, of course, it was amazing and they did. They loved it. Her measure of impact was whether the sales figures had changed. I really wish that I'd talked more to the other leaders the first time around. There was a lot going on and I stuck my head deep into building the sales stuff. And I think that if I'd had a little bit more connection with other parts of the business, it probably would have helped when I moved on to a company-wide project. Yeah, this is the talk to people part of this step. All hands meetings and emails aren't enough. You know, regular informal connection points are how you get to know what people need, how you get them interested in what you've got, and how you check with them that things are working. The language that you use has to match up as well. You know, it might be something as simple as If the strategy is all about reducing turnover, don't talk about retention figures because it's just going to confuse people. Use the words and the language of the people that you need to impress or influence. It'll save a lot of time. Sometimes you'll have to help people understand the connections or see the patterns. This is where storytelling really helps. It's a skill to be able to explain events or data in a way that inspires and Real-life examples tend to stick in human brains a lot better than theoretical definitions or lists of numbers. The head of sales was so good at storytelling and interpreting data to support my impact. Towards the end of my three-month probation, she took the whole senior leadership group through the sales figures for the quarter. 
she showed them that the increase in the percentage of qualified leads ending up as closed deals increased in the weeks after I'd released the qualifying calls training. She was explaining that the people making those initial calls were getting better at only putting through prospects that were a good fit. This was saving the sales team and the customer a lot of valuable time. She also showed them how the time to close deals decreased after demo and product training had been completed by the sales team. Customers were getting answers faster because the salespeople were more knowledgeable about the product. They could answer the questions in the moment as opposed to having to go away and come back, and it really kept things flowing. Now, she was a fantastic advocate for me. If your stories are powerful or interesting enough, the people you tell might start telling the stories to other people. Sometimes we do amazing things and others don't appreciate it because they don't realize it was us. You are your marketing team. Make it easy for people to talk about you in a good way. Also, don't be humble. This is not the time for that. Can you get yourself into the company newsletter? Can you put something into the all hands meeting? Can you start your own channel in Slack? Whatever it is, it's about getting connected and helping people understand the impact. Something that's going to help you with that is making sure that you've got evidence. So this is where we get to planning ahead to get the evidence, or as I like to call it, activating science mode. Sam Allen is the head of learning and performance at Insightful People. He talks about framing requests as hypotheses that need testing. We can do that for ourselves too. That big problem that you're working to fix. You have a plan that you hypothesize will work. And the next step before you get into enacting it is knowing what information do you need to make a reasonable conclusion that it worked. There are two things that are going to help us here. Firstly is building recording into the structure of the plan. This means that checking your work is not an afterthought. If you know the change that you're expecting to see, think about how you're going to get that evidence as part of implementing the plan. If you've got existing structures in place, fantastic. If you're starting from scratch, make sure you've got a plan. Great place to steal ideas from is training and assessment. So, you know, when you learn something, you'll go through and experience all the knowledge and then afterwards there's some sort of assessment or test or action that you take to prove that it's worked. It's built into the experience. So how can you build it into what you're rolling out? If you do have existing structures in place, this is where part two is going to be really helpful, which is knowing your baseline data. If I say that my podcast audience has increased by 300% this year, you'll probably be super impressed. Until I tell you that my baseline data was just my sister listening and now she shared it with her two friends. Hopefully that's not reality. Problem that we have is we're not always the people that own that data or we don't have access to it ourselves. So this is where I'm going to say talk to people one more time. Coming back to the sales enablement project, we were pretty fortunate. We already had a CRM system that was tracking deals. So we knew success rates, we knew speed. I say we, but it was actually the head of sales who knew these things. She knew the numbers like the back of her hand and she would share them with the sales team as they changed. If I had my time again, I would have actively sought out the original baseline values and tried to either get access to the information myself or had a bit more of an intentional regular routine of talking with her about them. 
I was lucky. She was so good at sharing that information and telling stories on my behalf that I didn't have to. We can't all always be so lucky. We're the ones that are in charge of testing our own hypotheses, and that means getting at the data. I didn't have a hypothesis last time, by the way, just that sweary sticky note and a dream to build lots of quality content. Which brings me to this time around. Probation's over. New organization, managing L&D for a bigger group of people now. But that fire is still here. I'm still trying to keep things lean and go for that MVP. Some days that works, but then there are times where I go down the rabbit hole of perfection or I have to be reminded to prioritize and be realistic with my capacity. I am better at sprinkling my magic around where possible and people are noticing. Something that I do really well is getting others to share their expertise and then to package that up in things like videos or podcasts. I know, shock horror seeing as I'm doing this as my hobby as well, right? So I had the request to put together an onboarding deck of slides to introduce new starters to the products that we make. Instead, I sent out about 30 individual Slack messages asking people to chat with me for 15 minutes and pulled that all together into a highlights reel, which still makes me smile when I watch it. At the time, it really did feel like a go slow to go fast moment. But as well as getting that information out of people in a really engaging way, I met 13 new humans in the space of a month. And now everyone in the business knows who I am. I'm keeping it impactful and connected to our strategy. It is making it easier to ask for resources and to get people involved. And it's easier to say, no, I don't have capacity for that extra request right now because I'm working on this business priority. We'll do a whole separate episode on saying no gracefully soon. I am following my own advice and talking to people. I think there's always room to improve there. But in the last two months, I've met with all the members of the senior leadership team and talked with them about their big goals and how they see learning and development helping with that. It is making it so much easier to make my case. And I really like having that big picture view of where we're trying to go as an organization. I'm talking to leaders at all levels across the business, either one-on-one or in small groups, getting their feedback on initiatives that we're rolling out and tweaking things where I can. They have got some great insights. Long story short, I'm talking to anyone who'll make time to talk with me. On the subject of talking, I've also been helping my broader people and culture team talk about learning and development. We've got the partner model where each person is connected with different parts of the business and they talk to those leaders on a regular basis. So what I've started doing is making them little media briefs of talking points about things that are happening so that they can answer questions, they can get feedback from the leaders, they can make sure that these things are front of mind rather than having to get questions, come to me, and then go back to them. Now, this was the part in preparing for the episode that I had, let's say, a brief emotional crisis. Building in a plan to capture evidence to support my hypothesis. What's my hypothesis again? Yeah, see what I mean about forgetting things that I should remember? So our focus right now is leadership development. We've got a framework of clearly defined skills that define effective leadership around here, and the initiative is all about increasing them. After that moment of panic, I am now happy to say that I do have a hypothesis. 
if we increase the leader's skill levels in this framework, as measured by self and team member reporting, because it's important to be able to measure it, we can expect to see more satisfied team members, better performance, lower turnover, and less need to hire external leaders into more senior roles because we can promote people internally instead. The really awesome news is I have access to all of these measurements and a baseline too. So there you have it, my not quite patented five-step plan to fighting for your life and for your L&D function. Focus on making the right impact. Make your impact fast. Make sure that the right people understand the impact and that they know it was you. Plan ahead to gather the evidence and never stop fighting. You are amazing. You are here for a reason. So what is it that will make them say, thank for you? Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon. The next part of the foundations of starting up L&D. Cookies in the jar. How and why to build connections with key stakeholders. Remember to subscribe and share. And if we're not already connected, please look me up on LinkedIn. Lauren Schultz. I'm the one with Robin Hood of Skills on my bio. Thank you.